The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, politics, stupidity, and sexual references. Friday, the 25th of September, 2020. In this episode, I'm joined by Fiona Patton, MLC, leader of the Reason Party in Victoria, formerly the Sex Party. One day we will stop saying that. We'll be talking about religious discrimination and her experiences with honey. I lived in a house where the honey, honey came out of the walls. We lament the politicisation of Victoria's response to the coronavirus. This probably should have been the time when um, the leader of the opposition shared the podium with the leader of the government. And we talk about, yes, what we're all thinking right now. A win for Trump would really top this fucking year off, wouldn't it? Hello, I'm Stilgerian. This is the 9pm sweet but disappointing reality with Fiona Patton. Right. As usual in this little spring series of episodes, um, we've been starting by talking about the quarantines that dominate our lives this year. Now, for me, as we record this on Wednesday the 23rd, it's day 190 of the quarantines, which is just since it started personally affecting me. 27 weeks. But Fiona, you're in Melbourne, the city hardest hit by COVID-19 in Australia. How are you handling it? Look, I must say I've had better days. I've had better years. I've had better <laughs> months. Um, I, I have been finding it quite tough and mainly, you know, I've been on my own. My, my partner hasn't been here um, and hasn't been able to visit. So, yeah, a, a lot of time eating alone and I find that, I think I find that the hardest. I mean, fortunately, I'm luckier than so many. I've got a job, I've got a busy job, I've got, you know, stuff to do. Uh, but, yeah, just spending an awful lot of time with only yourself does does get mm. to you after a mm. while. And you're, you're, you know, quite a gregarious character, really, aren't you? I, I think people would say I'm an extrovert. I <laughs> have been called that in the past. Um, but, yes, I do. And, you know, and given the work that I do, I mean, every night you would be attending a community meeting or you would be at Parliament or you would be doing something. So I'm not used to and wasn't fully prepared for the um, the extra time that that I would have to fill my day. So, yeah, it's been, um, it's been challenging, but I think... You know, certainly it's better weather, better, better numbers. I think everybody is feeling a little more buoyed down here. So obviously, you know, there's been a lot of conspiracy theories and anti-lockdown pl- protests mm. and so on. Here's some audio. I, I think this was the Chadston Shopping Centre the other day. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. This is, this is amazing. Down the battle of the town. Well, you know, Johnny Farnham, Flash Mob, Chadston. I, you know, 
I, I hope that that is not how we signify this year of quarantines. <laughs> that um, <laughs> just, just extraordinary, really, wasn't it? it just extraordinary. Uh, look, John Farnham, I know, doesn't appreciate his song being used in that way. He's he's gone on record now. Uh, but Cam yeah. Smith, Sexenheimer on Twitter, he's been documenting so much of this. Have you encountered it? Have you had you know some of your constituents? expressing their concerns oh absolutely absolutely in fact i i've just popped into my electorate office today and you know we've been getting well we've been getting a lot of hate mail uh about this and but the the COVID is a hoax uh you know the COVID is a hoax it's it's a world bank issue it's a um jewish conspiracy um, Bill Gates, of course, of course. is in on it. Um, but all of those, you know, all of that, and there's some new thing about children being hidden in tunnels under Melbourne. Um, <sighs> so, yes, we've been getting everything. I, and that, you know, COVID is a cover to save the children that are being sexually abused in tunnels under Parliament House. Now, we spoke um, about those tunnels last time and they've, they've had many, <laughs> many theories about them over the years. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. we were talking about the sex industry and the tunnel to Madame Brussels uh, establishment in Little Lonsdale Street back in the, uh, the Victorian era. Uh, yes. Tunnels are fantastic for this, really. Mysterious. Uh, it, it's, yeah. Look, uh, I think it's, I, I, you know, I guess that we'll, while, while you, we can kind of laugh at it, there's also, in my mind, that I, I just, this, this level of fear and it's this le level of distrust and it's a very small group and I'm sure we can talk about that later, but, it, but it's, it's a group that is, um, it, the level of distrust in our community is growing. Mm. You know, we are less, we are, uh, we're not trusting our media as much as we did. We're not trusting our government. We're not trusting. We're not trusting our police. You know, we're we're trusting less and less people um, that that normally warranted or normally uh, were held in in esteem and and were trusted. And and that seems to be really uh, in decline. And I think. You know, the COVID and the, and the COVID and the protests out there now are, are, are an indication of that that rising distrust. And yet, uh, yesterday, Essentials polling came out. They've been tracking mm. um, people's attitudes to COVID nineteen in some detail, particularly yeah. in, in Victoria, for obvious reasons. Um, there is a, a kind of understanding of the rules and the sense that. Uh, the rules are appropriate in, in their area. It's still high, but it is declining. So um, people understanding what the rules are has dropped from 80% uh, just a couple of weeks ago down to 74, that they are appropriate from 67 down to 60%. There's still kind of uh, trust that Premier Dan Andrews is handling it well, but it's not you know, it's it's not staying up there. And uh, yeah. I will say that, again, there were uh, 11 new cases uh, of COVID-19 on Monday mm. in Victoria, 28 yesterday on Tuesday, but that was some aged care results like paperwork came through. 15 today. The averages are coming down. Now, the other day Dan Andrews was being cautious. Ultimately, safety has to guide us. 
And whilst we'd all like to bring everything forward a month or two months, or indeed do it all yesterday, that that is not the advice. That's not what the data and the science says. What that what they tell me, what they're very clear about is that even at these low numbers and with the great work we're doing, it's still too early for us to open up. That clip mm. is from uh, uh, the press conference the other day. But there's news today yeah. that maybe things will be opening up very soon. 24 of the 28 cases we had yesterday were all from aged care as opposed to community transmissions and our daily average is still dropping so it's all systems go for some restrictions to be eased next week. As for what they are we know childcare is reopening and that preps ones and twos and BCE students will all be back at school for the start of term four. Some workplaces will be reopening we don't know which ones just yet the Premier has said he and his team will be working late into Saturday night to work all of that out ahead of Sunday's announcement. So it could be more businesses than we first thought. The Premier has a busy couple of days ahead of him. He was meant to front the hotel quarantine inquiry today, but his appearance has been pushed back to Friday. Are you feeling optimistic, Fiona? Look, I am feeling optimistic and the the Premier was pretty clear today that he will be, um, you know, speeding up the roadmap a little bit and he will have more announcements on this for this weekend and that is quite right and that is what in fact he has consistently said is that if the numbers change if the information changes we will change and so you know to me that's been a very sensible way of 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 doing it I mean I'd certainly think um things like the curfew should should be lifted i don't think that it's um i don't think it's necessary i don't think it's it's offering much in the way of protection um or or prevention uh, so i i suspect we will see things like the curfew readdressed but also with any luck some businesses being able to reopen whether that's um swimming pools or you know some other retail outlets now, listeners uh, to this podcast can, when they decide to send the money in, uh, choose mm. trigger words for conversations. And Frank Filipponi, oh. who's uh, been supporting the podcast for a long, long time, he's burnt off five <laughs> trigger words at once, playing oh. politics with people's lives. He says it's a bit of a sad reflection of politics, <laughs> this, but then in a democracy with compulsory voting, what does this say about ourselves? Now, with that in mind... Yeah. There is a clip from Sunrise on Monday. I'm sorry. (laughs) The Premier has come under fire for choosing not to fine any of the 34 people who caused an outbreak in Casey after visiting family members. If people are going to get fined for telling the truth in that circumstance, well then I think we know what happens. People won't tell the truth. The Victorian government did, however, find 21 anti-lockdown protesters on Saturday. And Victoria Liberal MP Tim Smith joins us now from Melbourne. Tim, morning to you. Um, Good morning, Sam. So we've seen pictures on the news of pregnant women being handcuffed in front of their children, of older women on park benches um, being fined. And why is the Premier not wanting to find this particular family? Well, it's a despicable double standard, Sam. It, it, it is beyond belief that uh, families that broke the rules, got caught and actually spread the virus haven't been fined, whilst many Victorians who have had minor infractions against the Chief Health Officer's directions have been fined. And we see this vision on the weekend, again, of grandmothers being handcuffed and the, 
the mounted police being sent down to the beach to chase protesters. Yet, in the same weekend, people that actually spread coronavirus don't get fined. It's disgusting, and the rule of law under Daniel Andrews in Victoria has been smashed to pieces. Now, there's a lot going mm. on there, not just the interviewer's uh, leading questions. Yes. What, what, you know, what are you hearing in that little exchange? Oh, look, I mean, it, it, it wasn't going to take long before racism reared its head in, in these debates, and um, certainly... This is I'm starting to see it in the in the messages that I'm getting on social media and in the in the emails that I'm receiving. Um, when, but this you know, I I think the police have been really sensible. They're using their discretion. Most of the people who've been fined, most of their fines have actually been um, uh, withdrawn. Um, if 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 someone has has a reason, or in the case in Hallam, many of those people were not. I wouldn't have said we're not 100% aware of what, what they could and could not do. Mm. Uh, I think the fact that they came forward, they assisted police in everything as far as, um, as, far as doing the contact tracing, as far as capturing this, um, this, this family, large family outbreak, um, I, I don't think it was appropriate to, to provide a fine at that stage. If someone goes out and deliberately goes out and protests and deliberately goes out protesting and not wearing a mask and they've been told if they go out protesting and don't wear a mask they will be fined, well, then I think the police do have a right to fine, fine those people. Um, it's, you know, it, it, the, it's people have got to try and maintain some cool here. We know that the vast majority of people are. The vast majority of people understand. The vast majority of people are doing the right thing and just want this to be over. But then you've got some who are actually seeing this as a really uh, great opportunity to start sort of breeding fear and, and pulling together some very disparate groups from sort of, you know, um, as I say, some sort of keep Australia white groups through to anti-vax groups coming together. It's um, there's some very strange bedfellows being formed during this quarantine. <laughs> yeah, look, and I I will admit I have trouble understanding the the logic, say, of the uh, the economists. Uh, you know, who are saying we need mm. to open up, not enough people are dead or something. But here's the thing: the the editor of the Medical Journal of Australia uh, on Tuesday he tweeted. Well, mm. predicted to work, that is the lockdown, did work. Victoria's response averted somewhere between 9,000 and maybe 37,000 cases. Now, I tweeted that this is an yeah. argument so simple that, you know, maybe even an economist could understand it. Perhaps even Chris Ullman <laughs> could understand it. <laughs> um, but he didn't, did he? No. <laughs> uh, but, but then who, I guess who are who is driving this? I mean, we're seeing... Uh, the Liberal opposition and, and well, I should say coalition opposition in, in Victoria mm. pushing it. Has it has it been as feral in state parliament as, as it seems to have been in the media? Look, it really has been. And it's, and it's been really disappointing because in actual fact, this probably should have been the time when um, the leader of the opposition shared the podium with the leader of the government, mm. uh, with the Premier, and said, now is the time for us to come together, now is the time for us to be looking after each other and getting through this, not for breeding, um, for breeding distrust 
in the process for breeding, uh, for for causing some of the fear, for saying, you know, for stating that you know that the steps taken by the chief chief health officer, supported by the Australian Medical Association, supported by the paramedics, supported by the experts, is is not the right thing, and and politicising it. Um, I think it was um, it, it was really poor politics, and certainly, look, you know, the the government the government has made mistakes. There is no doubt of that. But doing this kind of breeding of distrust and fear in the government is not helpful, and I I don't I I don't think it's um, you know, I it's I think it's it's really disappointing that that's the level that that they've stooped to. Thank you, Frank Filippone, for that. Uh, we will have uh, more trigger words a little later. Now, Fiona, email habits. Uh, an important finding I discovered the other day by Ethan Mollick on Twitter. Apparently, sorting your email is pointless. Uh, the people who use folders and sort their email out take more time to find stuff compared to just searching for, for it using the search function. They're no more accurate finding what they want anyway. And apparently putting email in folders wastes an average of 67 hours of your life each year. Are you an email folder kind of person? Oh, look, up, up, until, up, and, up until recently I was. No, I, I still am, I confess. <laughs> and, I, and I have to admit that when I saw that, I thought, when was the last time I actually went to one of those folders to look for an email? Mm -hmm. My first step is just search for the email. Yep. Then the occasionally, and certainly at the moment because we're getting a deluge of emails, occasionally I will actually go to a folder because it's – it might seem easier, but to be honest, I, I rarely look at those folders. They make me feel good. I don't know why, you know, it would be, a, you know, where would we put them if we didn't put them in a folder? Would we just put them in a, just move them out of your inbox saying, I've Into read it? one big folder, yeah, I guess. That's right. uh, I mean, yeah. I, I sort of have one big, yes, that's filed now. And, and I mean, some email programs just have a, an archive button, which means, yes, get them yes. out of the in-book box and, uh, yes. you know, put it somewhere. But, I mean, as you, you just said <laughs> you're getting a lot more email while people are stuck at home. I can understand mm. that and politicians are good to have a bit of a whinge to. Yes. I mean, how much email do you get? How much do you read and how much do your hardworking and presumably very lovely staff deal with on your behalf? There's we, – I probably – it in on normal days, um, there would be you know a hundred, hundred and fifty emails would come in. Um, some of them would be purely just FYI emails, and and then probably another half of those would would be actionable, and then out of that that half, probably half of them are for me to personally respond to. Um, so, and the other, the others, the um, other, pe other people on the team respond to generally checking in with me on them first. Now mm. that would be a that would be a, that would be kind of a, a average below average day. But at the moment, we're receiving about eight hundred emails a day, and we're so we're wow. being drowned by email. 
Um, wow. There is no email rule that you can use on them because in, in many ways, I mean, because the email rules that we might use to pull them out of the inbox actually pull out the emails that we do want to respond to, that we do want to read. So it's, um, yeah, the staff here are just spending all their days um, opening and mo- opening and moving emails out of the inbox. It's, 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 it's frustrating because some of them are email campaigns, so we're getting lots and lots of duplicate um, mm-hmm. emails. Uh, but a lot of them are getting a lot smarter about how to break, how to beat the Outlook um, <laughs> Outlook email rules. Oh, right, so they'll yes. they'll use different words in the headings. They'll do something. They'll you know just do something a little bit different. Uh, but they are obviously concerted campaigns. Very often the the wording and the messages are identical, um, but we have to sift through them because there will be the person that actually needs our assistance with something um, uh, or wants to provide us with some information that actually is incredibly useful to us. (sighs) But just since speaking to you, I've seen another 30 emails. Well, actually between, yeah, in 15 minutes, 30 emails came through. Excellent. One thing you got the other day which intrigues me was a certificate of appreciation from the Satanic Network of Victoria. Now, let me just read that out. Satanic Network Victoria Certificate of Appreciation, Fiona Patton. We acknowledge your valuable contributions at this time. Through your efforts, we have achieved incredible levels of fear within the state of Victoria. Intense rates of suicide and violence under which we can energetically feed and perform ritual under, uh, which doesn't make sense grammatically. Our power is increasing daily knowing that childhood energy is being violated and disrupted at fabulous levels. Vibrational fields of psychological torment have allowed us access to the darkest realms. For this we thank you. May your efforts be known far and wide. Your silence and obedience is noted. <laughs> oh dear. Your silence and obedience is noted, and there's again a lot happening. A lot there. Vibrational fields of psychological torment. What have you done? I know. Look, it, it, they laminated it as well, oh. so it was delivered laminated. So um, it certainly. It certainly initially seemed quite funny when I posted it on Twitter, but then um, then many people piled on, uh, you know, uh, telling me that it was a, it was true or something like that. I don't really know. Of wow. course, the um, the church uh, the Church of Satan came on board and said that of course that's not that's not us. We would never endorse something like this. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, the Church of Satan is actually quite. How do you describe it? They they have a coherent philosophy, and they're, yeah. you know, this this is not them. No, this is. And today I got another one that said, "I hope you choke on your forty pieces of silver, Judas." Oh. <laughs> so, wow. Um, 
Yes. So look, that makes and Dan they, Andrews uh, they actually Jesus printed or... the Judas in. <laughs> no, no, it is, makes. Oh, that, that's all tatted. Is yes. Dan Andrews the Messiah? Yeah. Well, it doesn't. Um, no, you've been yes, voting that, with him on some of the lockdown stuff, haven't that's you? That's right. So actually, exactly. So, yeah, it's confusing. And, and as someone who who is not a religious person at all, um, I, I had to um, I had to go and look up, you know, what it, what it even meant. So, um, but, yeah, so we're getting lots of kind of, um, I guess, cr- creative ideas. I think people have obviously pulling out the laminator has been great. Um, it's, but it... <laughs> It, it, it has also been concerning, you know. I mean, we have had, you know, I'm a farmer and I've got a gun um, uh, types yeah. of yeah. Uh, types of responses. And I know I'm not the only one and I know that, you know, it, my, you know, the, the threats to me pile into insignificance to the ones that probably the Premier has received or, or, or that the Chief Health Officer has received. But it does, it is kind of remarkable when people don't trust the chief health officer. Yes. When they think that 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 the chief health officer is misleading them, and and also like, why would a government not want businesses to be open? Well, uh, it, it, yes. If businesses are running, then they're paying tax. They're which is good for the the coffers. They're that, employing people, right. and you know all of that. That's right. That's exactly right. <sighs> The governments have foregone any, basically they've foregone all taxes for the next 12 months, all licence fees for the next 12 months. They've been spending billions of dollars on relief packages. So why would they want to do that? Why would they want to keep it shut? It, it makes no sense unless, unless it's children in tunnels and that's, you know... We, we keep Satan. coming back to that, and again, it's it's a horror story that makes sense to people, provided they don't have a very sophisticated view of what reality is. Gee, there's a mm. way of saying that, but it's 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 bizarre. But we have had a couple of top cops around the country just call that out as as just rubbish. But of course, they're part of it, aren't they? Well, that, that's right, exactly. So, of course, they would. But it's not just in Melbourne. It's also, I think, New York has got the same issue. Yes, yes. Um, and I think London might also. So it's a, you know, it's it's not just it's not it's it this this myth and these these sort of you know ridiculous ideas are, are, are repeated and spread um, around the world. Uh, so it's. But it does. It is disturbing that there are people in our in our community that that do believe this stuff, mm-hmm. and that do believe that that the that any vaccination will um, uh, put a microchip into you. Yes, yeah. and I, I and I feel it's just ridiculous. Like even even though. Uh, we talk about conspiracy theories quite a bit on on this podcast. I'm mm, still feeling the do. urge to actually say. No, there is no such thing as a liquid microchip. 5G yeah. does not cause a virus or <laughs> activate microchips, etc., yeah. etc. I think we should move yeah. on to another topic. Thank you. A 
Actually, before we move on to another topic, let's do the housekeeping. Uh, this is number four in five episodes in the spring uh, miniseries, spring series 2020. One more to go. Next week, it will be with Father Carl Sinclair, who's uh, one of the local Catholic priests out in Dubbo in central west New South Wales. We can talk about all manner of things about how the country's different from the city. Maybe you have some moral questions. They'd be interesting to put through. Uh, if you have trigger words and conversation topics or, uh, you know, if you're a subscriber, that is, and have moral questions, we'll need them by Monday, uh, Monday midday, the 28th of September, midday Australian Eastern Standard Time, of course. Uh, and I, look, I do feel a need in this one that, that some of you may have certain questions for the Catholic Church. Uh, remember... Uh, many of those will be above Father Carl's pay grade. So, um, yeah, maybe they won't get in, but we'll see. Uh, so that's next week with Father Carl. Uh, and, of course, these are made possible. These podcasts are made possible by you, the generous listeners. This episode, thanks to Chris Rockel for subscribing. Looking forward to your uh, input. And Kimberly Hyatman again. So who says sound engineering is baffling? Yes, it certainly is. Thank you. Now, if you'd like to join those people, and as I keep saying, in the quarantines, there's a lot going on, and I know that a lot of you are uh, having not the best of time at the moment. So uh, take care of you and yours first. But if you do happen to be able to contribute to the uh, upkeep of this podcast, please consider uh, go to stillgarian.com slash tip, stillgarian.com slash tip, uh, or subscribe for extra benefits. You'll find the links from there. And in fact, I should start saying go to the 9pmedic.com because I've set that up. It just goes to the existing pages at the moment, but you'll figure out for the, uh, figure out that for yourselves. Thank you very much. Fiona, we, I, I guess we should talk a bit about, you know, your actual work, your day job. Mm. What's What's been on your mind lately? I see uh, religious discrimination in the hiring of school counsellors. Yes. What have you been uh, doing there? Well, this is, this is something that has been frustrating and I think it's frustrated many people for decades and we have a... We have a federal chaplaincy program which was found to be unconstitutional um, some years ago in that it favoured one religion over another, which, um, as as many of your listeners will know, um, does not does not sit well with our constitution. So the chaplaincy program was changed so that it would be a secular program and that it could be people of any religion or no religion whatsoever. Then the then Prime Minister, Mr Abbott, um, changed the system so the money went straight to states, to the states, and the the agreement on giving the money was that it would only be given um, to the people who passed a religious, a test of religiosity. <laughs> right. Now, this was, I will actually say, that it was Gough Whitlam 
who was a constitutional lawyer, that figured out this is how the federal government can get states to do things, even in mm. areas where the federal government has no yes. power under Section 51 of the Australian yes. Constitution, yes. is that you have a, what's, what's, it's called a tied grant, isn't it? That yes. Yes, you will get this transport grant, but provided you use it only to build this particular highway there in this marginal electorate uh, <laughs> and not somewhere else, or in this case, uh, yes, your school council must pass a religiosity test. Yes. Which I'd so, like to see that, but that's another thing. Well, that's probably a whole other segment because basically it, it then means that um, the, the, the state governments uh, go into a, an agreement with, a prov- with providers who employ the chaplains. And the vast majority of these organisations are Christian organisations who are mm-hmm. exempt who who are exempt from discrimination legislation. So ah. they are free to discriminate against someone um, on the grounds of their religion, um, or their sexuality, or their marital status, or their colour, or whatever. So by handing basically contracting them to do the employment, this enables the state government to breach its own anti-discrimination legislation and by only <laughs> That's very employing cunning. It's cunning and it's wrong. And oh, yeah. we we've gone to the uh, there there are workarounds, but the only way for me as a sort of as an independent in the upper house to do this was to introduce a bill to kind of try and prevent schools from entering into agreements with third parties. So it was a it was a very complicated and convoluted way to try and address this, where in actual fact what what we'd like to see is the government entering into that agreement with those providers and say, you must employ people, you must agree to employ people who are from any religion or no religion, that what we want you to do is employ the best person for that job, um, which one hopes would be a qualified youth worker at the very least, uh, one hopes possibly with some psychology or social work qualifications as well. But at the moment, they a must be basically a must be Christian and must be involved with a Christian with a, actively involved with a Christian organisation to be employed. So no Muslims, no Jewish people, no Hindi people, no Buddhists can be chaplains um, in the mo- in the main. So it's let's not even suggest the Church of Satan. Let's not even suggest the Church of Satan, and I, I just feel when we're, when we're concerned about the mental health of young people, and particularly in Victoria this year, where we've had you know just such a crap year, um, that young that we really want to make sure that we have got really good people on the ground who are able to provide really good, uh, independent advice and care and concern for, for for our kids in schools. So it's a, it's a, it's a process. We've actually um, just we've just written to all of the providers saying, look, far be it from us to prohibit you from providing a service. How about you just say that you'll you will not discriminate? Maybe we can work do have a workaround on this. Um, but it's a work in progress, but you know, it's it's going it's going into a parliament where every morning we say the lord's prayer before we start our work for the day 
Um, yes, yes. That, I mean, it's a curious little ritual, and, and you know, it's easy to see why it was there originally. But yes, it, it yeah. is a strange thing uh, to know, still have there in twenty twenty. Fun um, fact. Fun fact. For the first uh, f- about forty years, Parliament didn't say the prayer. It was actually oh, it was actually only after World War One, I, I believe, that we started saying a prayer, and that was mainly because nobody could agree on what the prayer would be. Um, <laughs> and they came. I believe it was sometime after World War One. They came to they they came, or maybe it was a bit earlier than that. But um, quite a couple of decades later, they 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 agreed on one one particular prayer, um, and it, it formed part of the standing orders. So yes, when you've got that sort of um, again, I would say unconstitutional. Uh, preference of one religion over another, uh, you know you're facing an uphill battle. We have some more trigger words from listeners, uh, Fiona. Um, now, normally I cluster these in groups of three uh, drawn <laughs> randomly from a pot, uh, but in fact I only have three more today. And yeah. I don't know that I could put them together uh, in a pot, but Leanne, uh, hi, Leanne has sent in Bone Shaker, which I'll explain in a minute, mm-hmm. Katrina Jetty, Honey, and Peter Leverdink, Sovereign. So thanks for those, Bone Shaker, Honey, and Sovereign. And look, I'll start by saying Bone Shaker yeah. refers uh, to a conversation on Twitter about Bone Shaker Place in Carlton. Mm-hmm. Leanne asked, like, Bone Shaker Place, what's that about? Now, I said, look, a bone shaker is an old type of bicycle. The time period's right. It had hard rubber tyres, so on the cobblestones it gave a rough ride. It shook your bones. It was a bone shaker. But I also thought this was a little secluded laneway in Carlton. Mm. It was opposite what looks like it might have once been a pub. Uh, it, it, you know, and I Ah, you what let else your imagination your go with you, didn't you? Go off onto other other tangents. Well, it hasn't. I mean, as you know, I am chairing a um, review into sex work in Victoria, with <laughs> with the a- anticipation. Well, not anticipation, but I have been asked to look at how Victoria will decriminalise sex work. This did not come up. This did not come up. I'm suggesting to you, you're probably not going to get through a law which allows workers to pop down a little secluded laneway uh, for a, a quick tug. You are, you underestimate me still. You underestimate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, we've spoken before uh, four years ago when you were first on about yes. uh, places in the UK called Grope Cunt Lane, That's uh, right. which it's obvious what happened down that laneway. And one I yeah. found the other day in Castleford in England, it's now called Tittlecott Bridge, but originally <laughs> it was Ticklecock Bridge. Again, it's a, a secluded little, you know, laneway under a railway in 1890, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a... Uh, a picture of that on the website, and I know you've got the photo in front of you now, but I love the Wikipedia article where someone said it's where you paraded up and down to find a boyfriend or girlfriend, and I thought, yeah, yeah for, for half an hour, maybe. Well, when, um, you know, in, in the more – well, in the days that we had magazines, um, the, the chief 
Chief Australian Censor used to have a list of prohibited words. Um, oh, yes. And the, the list of words that could not be used on a cover of a magazine. And so right. um, the, the publishers of these magazines would go to fantastic imaginative crea and creative lengths to call things something else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, check the smooth inside, um, and I can't. Oh. You know, and tockle. I think was another one. Um, uh -huh. He he had a great tockle, um, but I must say I went to Smoo Cave in Scotland, and um, it it resembled a smoo. I'd have to say. Oh. <laughs> well, well, I'm not sure that's why it was called Smoo Cave, but it did resemble one. <laughs> Well, yes, uh, and I, look, I will say to wrap that part, uh, unfortunately for, for us, and I did check with Whores of Yore on Twitter. She is wonderful, uh, and I'll, I'll uh, at the end of the podcast, I'll remind people what her book is called on the history of sex. Apparently, it's great fun. Uh, I checked with her, and she said, uh, no, bone shaker hasn't been used as a, a slang term for shaking no. the bone. And the city of Melbourne said, yeah, that laneway is named after the bone shaker bicycles, which were made by a W.C. Kernow, who was a prominent citizen of Carlton with his bike bicycle factory. So I'm quite sad. Wow. I still think if we put a photo up of, of bone shaker lane, I think there may be a couple of people who may come forward and talk about their, their more erotic experiences of Bone Shaker Lane. <laughs> Indeed. Or now, we'll just um, put it up as a challenge. <laughs> all right. That will happen. Uh, Katrina Jetty said honey. I don't know what that might refer to. Have you been doing anything with honey lately? Um, no, and I try not to call people honey anymore. It's, mm. you know, I like it, but, yeah. No, I haven't had it much. Although I was telling a story. I once had – once had a, a, a ha I lived in a house where the honey honey came out of the walls, out of the brick walls, because this huge hive had built into an old chimney, and um, oh, wow. and honey literally started seeping out of the bricks of the kitchen wall. It was quite remarkable. <laughs> um, that's a good story. Thank yeah. you, Katrina. And <laughs> sovereign, I know we're almost out of time, and you have an important meeting with a powerful man uh, yes. coming up. So oh, I shouldn't have said it like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, sovereign, is this yeah. one of the most overused political words lately? Sovereign capabilities, sovereign vaccine? I think it, it, in, some way, it in some way sort of masks what they're talking about, doesn't it? it it's, um, it's, it's a word that, that means very little to most people. Uh, and most people would market sort of in some ways with some form of um, connection to royalty, to, to, to a royal family or to that, um, yeah, to a connection to a, to a, to a, to a monarch. Um, mm. and, and that's what, it, that's what it does mean. But when we start talking about our sovereign nation uh, or, or our sovereign, you know, Sovereign rights to a vaccination. It, it 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 it's it's a it's a it's a word that means nothing, and I think it's it's a word to to further mask possibly what what the person is trying to say. I I don't I I think it's a silly word to to use in 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 Australia where we um you know where well where I personally would like to see us become a republican nation. 
Indeed. And finally, with just seconds to go... This is really, we call it a friendly protest. Okay. And you know what we're protesting? We're protesting stupidity, okay? Because so many stupid things you see here. But hello, I'll tell you what, Ohio, how, how good have you been? <laughs> Will Trump win? You've been wrong on this before. Yes, I have. Um, I this this 2020 has been quite a year, so a win for Trump would really top this fucking year off, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it just? On that happy note, Fiona Patton, thanks, thanks again for your time today. We'll do this again sometime, I think. I look forward to it. Thank you. Hopefully in person again one day. Oh, in the aftertimes. <laughs> yes, that'll be lovely. Yes, in the aftertimes. That's the edict for now. Next episode will be with Father Carl Sinclair. Get your trigger words and topics in by midday this Monday. All the links are at the 9pmedict.com. Tip, like, subscribe, send money. Until next time, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.